A Greenock woman is dead after her taxi collided with another car on Eldon Street early yesterday morning. 62-year-old Jean O'Neill died at the scene. A 56-year-old passenger sustained multiple severe injuries that left her in critical but stable condition. Firemen had to cut the roof from the taxi before they could free them from the wreckage. The taxi driver and the 24-year-old driver of the other car are both in stable condition. Police are now looking for the drivers of three cars, including a dark-coloured saloon, which they believe were in Eldon Street at the time of the accident. Anyone with information is asked to call police. January 26th, 2003. Sunday, 2.30 in the morning. One dead, more in hospital. Police repeatedly appealed for witnesses. They questioned more than 100 people about what happened. Police in the port of Greenock in Scotland set up boards at the side of Eldon Street near the intersection with Madeira Street, appealing for witnesses. Finally, Ms. O'Neill's family added their own plea for help. And at the end of that report in the local paper, on February the 11th, there was a report of an arrest. A 24-year-old Greenock man charged with murdering a man in the United States appeared at Bow Street Magistrates in London last week. Philip Harkins of Kilmacombe Road is charged with murdering Joshua Hayes on August 10th, 1999 in America. Authorities in the US want Harkins to return there to face trial for the alleged murder. He is expected to appear at Bow Street again tomorrow. Philip Harkins was driving the other car. This is the story of how the 1999 murder of Joshua Hayes in Florida spread to Scotland and spun so far beyond anyone's expectations. Chapter 3 Eldon Street My name is Tristan Stewart-Robertson and I'm a reporter based in Scotland where Philip suddenly appeared. After the crash, firefighters had to cut the roof from the taxi to free those inside. Jean O'Neill, in the back, died. It was reported that she had three daughters and two sons. The taxi driver, aged 41, suffered injuries to his legs. In the hours after the crash, the 56-year-old passenger, who had been in the front seat, was described as being in critical but stable condition. She was kept in hospital for weeks. Jean O'Neill's family asked many years ago not to have further contact from the press. I respect that, but I did let them know I was reporting this story, and I regret any distress this report may cause them. But the full story has never been properly told. According to what came out later in court, a cousin called and asked Philip to pick him up in the early hours of January 26th. 
Philip drove along the Esplanade in Greenock and was making a turn when he was overtaken by two vehicles. Gestures were apparently made. Philip drove after them and was trying to pass one of the vehicles. That's when he crashed into the taxi. Philip's own lawyer later told a court that, quote, whatever the reason was, he was certainly not looking at the road ahead and was not aware until the last possible moment of the taxi coming in the opposite direction. Philip was driving at 60 miles per hour on the wrong side of a 30 miles per hour residential street. He had a provisional license and had bought the car just three weeks earlier. The prosecutor told the court, quote, The only coherent thing Harkins said was to ask if he was going to die. The prosecutor added that Jean O'Neill, quote, would have liked to live, but she had no choice in the matter. Philip wrote a letter to the court expressing deep remorse and regret. When he was sentenced, the presiding judge, Lord Emsley, said he accepted that Philip had no criminal record in the UK. He jailed Philip for five years for causing death by dangerous driving and banned him from driving for ten years. A murder suspect was sentenced to five years yesterday for killing a taxi passenger in a car crash. Scots-born Philip Harkins is wanted by American authorities over the alleged shooting of a man in Jacksonville in Florida in 1999. Harkins left America and fled to Scotland, but in January this year, his dangerous driving resulted in the death of 62-year-old Jean O'Neill. Harkins was chasing after other motorists at twice the speed limit when he hit a taxi carrying his victim. He held only a provisional licence at the time. Philip Harkins was born on September 2, 1978, to Scottish mum Kathleen Harkins. The father is not listed on the birth certificate. Philip was raised by his grandparents in Scotland until he was 14. Then he was taken to join his mother and stepfather in Jacksonville. He went to the same high school as Josh and his sister Elizabeth. The judge in Philip's sentencing in Edinburgh wasn't aware of previous convictions, but you can easily look them up online. When Philip fled to Scotland, he applied for a British provisional driver's license. That provisional driver's license application didn't require Philip to mention existing convictions in any country, and that's still the case 20 years on and Philip had multiple convictions in the U.S. Driving offenses are common in America. And once you have one, they can create excuses for police to keep stopping you. 
we know from public records that Philip got in trouble behind the wheel. He had a number of civil and criminal court appearances dating back to 1995. He repeatedly got the label of habitual offender for driving while his license was suspended or revoked. Philip got that charge three times in 1995 and 1996. And he broke speed limits in 1996, was caught driving carelessly, and even served a few weeks in jail. Speeding and driving dangerously would later claim a life. Those driving offenses were all in Jacksonville. And he got ones elsewhere. There's a traffic citation from neighboring St. John's County in 1996. It states Philip had been suspended from driving seven times. He was still a teenager then. In 1997, he was put on probation and ordered to get a driving license within three months. Two months later, a warrant was issued and he was arrested for violating probation. The next year, he was again caught speeding, made an improper U-turn, and ran a stop sign. In all cases, he failed to pay the citations. It wasn't just driving offenses, though. When he was still 17 years old, Philip was arrested in May 1996 for possession of a firearm, or a concealed weapon by a juvenile delinquent found to have committed a felony. Two weeks later, the prosecutor used the power of direct file to ensure Philip would be tried as an adult. Direct file has long been a target of campaigners for giving prosecutors, quote, virtually unfettered discretion to decide which children to try as adults. Philip pleaded guilty to the firearms offense in January 1997. He was sentenced to nine months probation and a suspended sentence of nine months in Duval County Jail. But in Florida courts, an adjudication can be withheld. So even if someone admits their guilt or refuses to object to a charge, a judge can withhold recording a conviction. Yes, he did it but it wasn't a conviction. A felony conviction can lead to restrictions such as the loss of voting rights or a ban from buying or possessing a firearm. Even one recorded felony conviction means the charge stays on your record forever. Adjudication was withheld on Philip's conviction for possession of a firearm so there was nothing to prevent him buying a firearm two years later. The day Joshua Hayes was sentenced for the sexual battery case on May 19, 1999, Philip was arrested for again driving while his license was suspended or revoked. And even after the murder and Philip's indictment six months later, he still picked up more driving charges. Philip was caught driving while his license was revoked and as a habitual offender in Hillsborough County, home to the city of Tampa. In St. John's County, 
Philip even managed to pick up a citation from the Marine Patrol for careless operation of a vessel. He stayed free on his own recognizance. And once he was in a Scottish court, none of Philip's driving offences, or any convictions, seemed to have been known. Scotland's deeply secretive legal system cannot even confirm if papers connected with his fatal driving case have been destroyed. Whatever does still exist is restricted, even including the sentencing statement read out in open court in 2003. Past convictions are only public if stated in open court and reported by the media. If there is no journalist in court, there is no public record of a crime. Only statistics. Strathclyde Police was the force in the region at the time of the crash. It later merged into the National Police Scotland. That force told me they had no records of Philip's American crimes, nor any record of whether they were told Philip was in Scotland. Philip's defense advocate in the Greenock driving case told me that his file was destroyed years earlier. But he said his recollection was that the High Court was, quote, not formally advised of the information from Florida, and this was therefore not part of the sentencing process in Scotland. However, there may have been reference to this, for example, in the social work report. Social work reports are never accessible by the press or public in Scotland. But even if the court had been aware of directly relevant previous offending, they would not have been considered because they were outside Scotland. Philip fled to Scotland. He was a man on the run. But he still submitted a form to the government, and nobody noticed. And he also got a job in Scotland, in the accounts department at Scottish Media Group, SMG, then one of the country's biggest news companies. I was doing occasional weekend shifts in the same building at the time. I only discovered the cross paths years later. Philip, it seems, was hiding in plain sight. When he crashed his car in 2003, Philip came to the attention of two countries, and both wanted him. Although he caused somebody's death, it was the extradition process that started first. Philip checked himself out of Inverclyde Royal Hospital, but was arrested because he was wanted in America. He was taken to Bow Street Magistrates Court, in London, on a warrant related to the Florida murder. In March, the U.S. formally requested extradition, and the then Home Secretary, David Blunkett, issued an order to proceed. 
a court then had to consider that extradition request. It determines if there is a legitimate criminal charge that the person must face, described as a case to answer, or a prima facie case. Remember, the murder indictment hinged on Terry Glover. He was at the boat ramp in August 1999 and said Philip was the killer. Philip had claimed Terry's statements were inconsistent. But that's not relevant to whether an extradition request is proper and should be answered. And Philip's other concerns were a matter for Florida, not the UK. In July, District Judge Caroline Tubbs said yes, there was a case to answer in Florida. And she ordered that Philip be held in prison to await a warrant from the Home Secretary for his surrender to the US. I find that the evidence contained in Terry Glover's affidavit establishes a prima facie case on the charges against Philip Harkins. The differences between the accounts given by Terry Glover are not fundamental in my view, and not as such to completely undermine the evidence he can give and so justify rejecting or eliminating his evidence. The other matters raised on Mr. Harkin's behalf are matters for consideration at the trial in the United States. The evidence produced would, according to the law of England and Wales, make a case requiring an answer by the defence if the proceedings were for trial here on these charges. So there is sufficient evidence to justify an order for committal. It wasn't until September that Philip appeared in court over the fatal crash in January. On paper, he was granted bail. The Crown had to appeal that. In December, Philip pleaded guilty at the High Court in Glasgow. He was sentenced in Edinburgh just days before Christmas. It should have been Josh's 27th birthday. Once somebody is arrested in the UK, there's very little that journalists can report. It's to prevent any serious risk of prejudicing any potential trial. But Philip wasn't arrested over the crash for more than seven months. And the press would not have to worry about prejudicing any potential trial back in Florida. In April, Philip spoke from Brixton Prison to a reporter and insisted he was innocent of the crime in America. He told the Greenwich Telegraph, quote, The police dismissed the case in November 1999. I am not the kind of person that I am being portrayed to be. I wasn't even at the scene of the crime. Philip told the paper he fled to the UK because he was afraid he would not get a fair trial in the US. Months before he pleaded guilty to the Greenwich crash, Philip claimed a, quote, car cut in front of me and I slammed on my brakes. It was wet and I couldn't control the car. He added, when my cousin told me that a lady had died, I felt terrible. I just started to cry. Philip, according to the report, was engaged at the time. His intended future mother-in-law told the paper, quote, 
I couldn't wish for anybody better for my daughter. He is a lovely boy. Because he is a British citizen, we hope he can be tried here and won't be sent back to America. She planned to visit Philip in prison with her daughter, stating he hadn't seen anybody since he was taken to London. She added, It's a shame. Kathleen Harkins, Philip's mother, told the same report that her son was being treated unfairly. She said, quote, Nothing was going right for him here. They are blaming my son for something he has not done. Murder Without End is reported and edited by Tristan Sir Robertson and produced by Liam Pollock. Original music by Dylan Anthony. Artwork by Jason Skinner. Scottish radio or TV news clips from 2003 aren't available, so newspaper reports have been adapted and read by Maxine MacArthur. District Judge Tubbs was read by Kate Hollins. Sources for this episode include interviews, news reports, Scottish Freedom of Information requests, Florida public records, and Florida access to information documents, including those from prison. Journalism like this might be free to listen to, but it isn't free to make. A Murder Without End was created without any funding. All research archive audio, voiceovers, and music were sourced and paid for by myself. So if you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and visit our website, tomorrow.is, to donate what you can. Any support you can spare would be invaluable. Thank you for listening.